Welcome to leadership is a personal choice. We named it that way because it is. Leadership is about taking ownership, about being responsible for yourself to ensure that whatever happens to you or whatever happens around you is positive and good for everybody. I hope you enjoy these podcasts and do let us know, rate them, send us your suggestions and send us your comments. Happy listening. On April 13, 1919, the 9th Gurkhas, 54th, 6th and 59th Sindh Rifles, on the orders of Colonel Dyer, fired on an unarmed, peaceful crowd gathered to celebrate Besakhi at the Jallianwala Bagh in Amritsar. As a result, a thousand people died and perhaps three times that number were injured. Even though the crowd was overwhelmingly Sikh, one of the platoons firing on them was the 54th Sikhs. The interesting thing is that Colonel Dyer himself didn't fire a single round. I am sure that if one were to ask each one of those soldiers why he fired, he would have given the same answer. It's not my fault. I was only following orders. Orders don't don't turn evil into good, wrong into right. If you obey illegal orders, that's your choice. You are responsible, nobody else. The law honors you and sets you apart. When you break it, you are a criminal like any common criminal. Clothes don't make the woman or man. Honor does. Colonel Dyer ordered it, but every soldier at Jallianwala Bagh made a choice. And he made it again and again as they were firing Lee Enfield 303 rifles, not machine guns. Every time he pulled the trigger, he made a choice. He was shooting his own people. He knew that, but still he did. Orders? The same thing happened to Germans that led to the deaths of 6 million Jews and others on the orders of Hitler, who personally perhaps never killed even a chicken. Stalin's orders resulted in the deaths of 20 million Russians, not one of whom had the honor of meeting his maker at the hands of Stalin. Today, as we watch in shameful silence, thousands of Rohingya Muslims are the victims of a genocide, which is the latest in the long list of genocides with which the human race visits itself. Poor lemmings get the rap for being suicidal, but nobody is more suicidal than human beings. We are constantly engaged in attempting to send each other into the pages of history, and so should be renamed from human beings to human were. That would explain our inherent brutality and barbarism and barbarism which we have been taught to believe is an animal tendency and not worthy of humans. Mercifully no animals went to my school and so no loud protests were heard at this singularly blatant lie. It is humans and only humans that kill for no reason, torture, rape and devise ever more innovative ways of causing harm to each other. I don't think we should so easily give up this differentiator of our species to mere animals. No wonder that Hitler apart, we have always glorified the perpetrators of genocide, like Alexander the Great. Why the Great? Who slaughtered his way all the way from Macedonia to India. Julius Caesar who slaughtered a million Gauls fighting for their land, trying to keep it from being civilized by Rome, and said today was a good day. Or Genghis Khan, who did far more than these two genocidal maniacs put together just for fun.
I must clarify that Genghis Khan was Buddhist. If anything, really animist, definitely not Muslim. Then we talk about the importance of peace. This is a bit of an aside, but when you are writing your own articles, which you publish on your blogs and don't care who reads them, you can take this liberty without the fear of your article being returned by a recalcitrant editor. To return to my theme, ask any of those who actually do the killing and you will get the same answer. It's not my fault. I was only following orders. You can observe the same attitude of learned helplessness with those who fall into negative patterns in life, alcohol, smoking, narcotics or other addictions. They all have the same refrain, it's not my fault. But ask them who is suffering, who is getting cancer and worse, who is paying for it from his pocket as well as in more painful ways and you get reactions ranging from sheep from the sheepish look to anger directed at you, not recognizing that it is really directed at themselves. This is what leads to my hypothesis, which is that people don't like to grow up. We all follow the same life cycle. We are born naked and helpless. If we were to be abandoned at that stage, we would certainly be dead in a few hours at the most. There is nothing we can do to help or defend or support ourselves. We are a piece of living meat, nothing more. It is our external environment which protects us, sustains us, takes care of our every need and does so at its own cost, otherwise known as parents. We learn to simply take it all as our birthright, without a word of thanks. Firstly, because we are too little to say it, and then later because, well, it's my birthright, right? Our job as babies is to feel sad, glad, bad, mad, and yell like hell if you don't like what is happening, content in the knowledge that someone will come to our aid. The fact that you are reading this is proof that they did, in my case. At this stage in life, that is the best strategy and frankly the only one as you are truly helpless. We also learn another lesson. That the external environment determines my happiness and so if I am not happy, it must have to do with the external environment. Also, since the external environment is so critically important to my survival, I must obey or I will perish. These are the lessons of childhood that we learn. I am reminded of the time when I went to an elephant training camp deep in the forest in the Indira Gandhi National Park in the Anamalis, there I saw an enormous bull elephant tethered with a coconut fiber rope to a stake driven into the ground. What I noticed about this animal, apart from its, apart from its huge size and very dark color, I've never seen a bigger Asian elephant and, I, and he was almost completely black, was not only that it was tethered by this ridiculous rope which couldn't possibly hold him even if he simply decided to start walking away but that the leg with which it was tethered didn't move at all. It was as if it were paralyzed. The elephant, like all elephants, rocked back and forth as he stood, swaying to a tune only he could hear in his heart. In that process, he lifted his other feet, but the foot which was tethered stayed in the same place. I knew the answer, but decided to check with the keeper, his Mahavat. I asked him, if the elephant couldn't rip out the snake, uh, the stake or snap the rope and walk away if he wanted. The Mahavad laughed and said, of course, Dore, that silly rope can't hold him. Why doesn't he do it then, I asked. Because he believes he can't. He believes that the rope is too strong for him to break. Why is that, I asked. You see, when he was a young calf, we would tether him to the same stake with the same rope. 
At that time, he would fight with all his strength against the rope and squeal with rage when it wouldn't snap and the stake would yield. He was too small to break the rope then. Gradually, over a few weeks, he learned a very valuable lesson. Valuable for us, that is. Otherwise, we would never be able to train him. The lesson he learned was that the rope is too strong to break and that we are stronger than he is. That lesson remains with him all life long, even when he is not a calf anymore. As I said, that's a very good thing for us. The day he realizes that his strength, which he uses to push down a full-grown tree to get at a succulent bunch of leaves on the top, can also be used against this rope and us, he will be free and we will have to run for our lives. But not to worry, he will never realize that. He will always be our slave. In the same way, it would have been no problem if our condition remained the same and we continue to remain one year old all through life. But we don't. We grow up physically. Our environment changes. We change physically. But the problem is that many, if not most of us, don't change mentally and emotionally. So we have 40-year-old bodies with 4-year-old minds. That's why they say the difference between men and boys is the price of their choice. This is where the problem begins, not at 40 years of age, but because we don't learn the lesson that with a change in environment, new skills must be learned if you want to survive and grow. But our conditioning of decades comes in the way because we've learned to like this dependence on the external environment and the fact that we can blame everything on it, feel free to do whatever we like without taking responsibility for it and go through life imagining that as long as we have someone to point a finger at, we are not accountable. Emotional maturity is the process whereby we break the cycle of infancy and accept the fact that we are adults, not just physically but mentally and emotionally. That This means that we accept responsibility for ourselves and our well-being as well as the responsibility for those whose lives we touch. We are aware of our strengths and of the fact that we are a fractal, the coming together of which with others makes society whole. To do this, we need to accept our autonomy, that is, freedom to act according to our will. Simply put, that is not such a big deal. We are all happy to consider ourselves free to act according to our will. What some of us have trouble with is to recognize that we are free to choose, but every choice has a price tag. If we make a choice, we automatically agree to pay the price. In, Vietnam, in the Vietnam War, American soldiers committed all kinds of horrific at atrocities, napalmed entire villages and burned the inhabitants alive, dropped bombs like confetti at a party, and did other things too horrible to be written about here, all following orders. But the tragic fact is that it was not only the Vietnamese who suffered, but that after safely returning home, almost the same number of American Vietnam War veterans died of PTSD and other war stress-related problems and suicide as the number killed in Vietnam. The Viet Cong didn't kill them. They paid the price of obeying orders in Vietnam, a price which they didn't consider when obeying those orders, but a price that was rung up at the till nevertheless. We must pay for what we buy, always. Autonomy is to understand this and to be very careful about what you buy because sometimes the price is far higher than we can afford. It's not important whether you win or lose a battle. What is important is which side you fought on. The reality is that if enough of us choose to take positive, courageous stances, this world will change. Oppressors can't function without supporters. Those fighting oppression can. Even one person standing up for justice inspires a million others. Recall the iconic pictures 
of the one person standing before the tank in the long-forgotten Tiananmen Square. Yes, that still didn't stop the massacre, which the U.S., U.N., you and me have all chosen to forget. Yet that image lives on and inspires me at least. And I'm sure many more. It's a tribute to people of courage that this was not the only such instance, photographed or not. So to repeat myself, oppressors can't function without supporters. Those fighting oppression can. Autonomy is to understand that we, each of us individually, is incredibly powerful. That all change begins with the individual person, man or woman. It is only, one, it is only when one person stands up that others join. As in the case of Spartacus, the Hollywood movie about the slave who fought the Roman Empire and, but, and eventually lost. When the slave army was defeated and surrounded, the Roman commander announced, If you give up Spartacus, your lives will be spared and you can go back to your former jobs as slaves. If not, every one of you will be crucified. There was silence. Then one man stood up and said, I am Spartacus. Then another stood up and said, I am Spartacus. Then a third and a fourth. Until the entire slave army stood up together and proudly shouted, I am Spartacus. That is because Spartacus had changed from being a person to being an ideal, a goal worth dying for, a legacy worth leaving behind. That is the power of autonomy. I know that what I described about is Hollywood's rendering and a liberal dose of imagination, but nevertheless, it makes the point of what I am saying here, that when people choose to exercise their autonomy, good things happen. Change happens, human dignity is restored, and the world is a better place to live in. And the alternative? Keep blaming the world for your failures, your laziness, your inertia. The very meaning of autonomy is to take a stand, to stand up and say, no matter what orders, no matter that I need the job, no matter what anyone says, I will not be a part of injustice. It is to stand up and say there is a price to pay for standing up and a price to pay for keeping silent. I will stand up because I know that the price to pay for remaining silent is far higher. Remember the words of Pastor Martin Naimola. He said, first they came for the communists and I did not speak out because I was not a communist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. Living is about choosing. To take a stand is a choice. To do nothing is also a choice. And all choices have price tags. That is why I ask myself, if not now, when? If not me, who?